Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Before we get to this week's episode with Bob Alvarez, I want to thank my sponsors. First, NWO IT Services, Synchrony HR, Go Brand Go, The Tom James Company, and Enterprise Bank and Trust. And now to this week's episode with Bob Alvarez. Bob Alvarez, welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. I appreciate you coming on today. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm humbled you asked me. I hope I don't disappoint. You you won't for sure. You're a very humble individual. I, I can tell just from the last few times we have chatted. But, um, you know, I'm excited to really dive in and talk about not only your career, but your path to Shapiro Metals. Um, I know you and I have chatted about this in the past, but... Let's kind of start there. Talk to us about the path to Shapiro. And I know there were some challenges that you faced along that path. And so let's talk about kind of some of those challenges, how you overcame them, and really ultimately what led you to where you're at today. Oh, very good. Um, you know, I think the best way to describe it is it wasn't a straight line. Uh, it was a very circuitous path. And my career is pretty much latticed. I began as a microbiologist spent time in quality, realized that I had kind of topped out in quality with some very nice companies and tried to get into operations. One of those companies gave me an opportunity in operations and I moved around a bit with that. That was probably when I was plant manager in Columbus, Ohio, one of the best experiences I had, Brian. I, I led my first team I really understood what the value of culture, and I don't think I'll ever forget that experience. Um, and then I moved on to another location for that company and ended up uh, working in some, realizing that I had topped out and kind of, uh, so I moved into some general management positions and got a really nice experience in some small companies in Denver, mostly in injection and blow molding. And then I got laid off. And uh, it was a tough economic time for that industry. And the only two redundant positions in the company left were mine and the owner. And he wasn't going anywhere, so I left. Um, And it was... uh, a humbling experience. Uh, so during that process, I was applying for a lot of jobs and it was taking a while. 
And uh, I applied for a night shift supervisor's job at uh, the brewery in Fort Collins and didn't get the job. And so that was pretty disappointing. They said I was overqualified. And then lo and behold, a few weeks later, um, you know, we certainly were kind of at the end of uh, our bank account by that time. Um, uh, I received a call from a gentleman named Joe Selinger. He was heading up a major department for Anheuser-Busch and he asked me, he said, hello. Uh, and I said, hi, Joe. And he said, uh, I hear you're looking for a job. And I said, yes, sir. And he says, what you're looking for? And I said, well, an opportunity and quality or operations. I, I totally realize you promote from within and HR. And he asked me at the end of that, why I'd be interested in HR. And I said, because my wife said I'd be good at it. <laughs> I had no idea that his HR vice president had just uh, tendered her notice. And so I went through about three more months of interviews and um, eventually they determined that I was a reasonable candidate for that vice president of HR job. So I got experience in HR. And then after that, I worked in a couple other HR jobs and came over to uh, Shapiro in 2015 as the vice president of operations. So I went from quality to ops, to general management, to HR, back to uh, operations. operations and uh, now kind of general management as the president. Yeah. So came to Shapiro in 2015 and, you know, now in over the last five, six years, you've become president and chief operating officer for Shapiro Metals. But what I love about your story and when we first met was, you know, and I'm sure people listening to this episode can relate that there's been times in their life and in their career where they've, you know, been searching for that next opportunity. And they're, they're close to, like, as you mentioned, the end of the bank account. And you applied for a position at a supervisor shift in Fort Collins. And then the next thing you know, you're vice president of HR for Anheuser-Busch. Um, what a what a neat story that led you to obviously the career that you're on today. Um, I think that's, I don't know, I think it's very, for very over, um, very rewarding, I guess you could say is probably the best word to do that. So talk to me about that time when you were, you know, you applied for the, the shift at, uh, at Fort Collins and you didn't get it. How did you overcome that challenge? What did you do as an individual to continue to push yourself to, to not give up and to keep trying and finding, it, and finding a job, which ultimately led to become the VP of HR at Anheuser-Busch? I really don't know that there was anything other than the sheer tenacity to know that you, you had to move forward. You couldn't really do anything about the past. You just had to move forward. You know, I, I think about that time often, the support that I had from my wife and my family, the pressure that was on all of us. And that was motivation in and of itself uh, to just move forward. And, um, you know, I was working odd jobs, picking up things here and there, but really needed something meaningful. And it the ultimate result is we moved from Colorado back to St. Louis. So yeah. it, that was the ultimate result. But the, the more important thing to me is I think 
if you're if you're going to pursue your goals, you're going to take risk. If you take risk, you're going to have to deal with change. And when you take make those changes, those changes happen. Um, you get experiences you wouldn't ordinarily get by necessarily staying in one place. There's pros and cons for both. I chose the latter. That lattice has really served me well. Sure. I've got a lot of different experiences and a lot of different industries. I've learned a lot. I've made enough mistakes to learn a little bit. And I think that has served us well now and it's serving Shapiro well now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bob, obviously with your background in HR um, and your time as VP of HR for Anheuser-Busch, and you know, you've mentioned this just a minute ago, but we've talked about it as well as company culture. So when you think about company culture, how does one um, help define that and help create that for an organization? Yeah, I think that my HR background certainly helps. I mean, I think culture is everything and it's really the essence of how a company does what it does. And that essence has lots of components to it. Um, components that include leadership, the attitudes of leaders and the attitudes of the people you hire. And, you know, there's common definitions, generic definitions out there that, you know, talk about it. it uh, the simplest one I have heard is it's the worst behavior you tolerate. Another one is um, it reflects what a company considers important or the most generic is it's the kind of comprehensive beliefs, values, and norms. But it's so much more than that. It's really the essence of how your organization acts, how it delivers on its value, and I think it's enhanced by a great HR strategy. It's enhanced, because, but that is born out of caring about your people and caring about them for in more ways than just nurturing. It's caring about their development, what their motivations are. It's, so it really becomes a leadership imperative in my mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's stick on that topic about leadership. Tell me what your view is on leadership. What do you believe from a leadership perspective, how you can be an effective leader for Shapiro Metals? That is a huge question. <laughs> uh, you know, I think um, at the risk of dating myself, I think Tom Peters stated it the best when he said something like, if you choose a leadership path, you are choosing to devote your life to people, period. And I really think that's what leadership is about. You have to like people. You have to care about people. You have to care about what they care about. And you have to get them to care about what the company cares about, what the company's purpose is. And that takes a lot of different skills. You have not beyond caring, you know, you have to demonstrate respect. You have to show gratitude. You have to have a cue. You have to have empathy and determination, desire, vision, question driven by the situation, sometimes driven by the person you're interacting with. And even more so, I think it's going to be, um, uh, 
incumbent upon us to recognize that it's not just those things, it's the paradoxes those things include. Sometimes right. you have to figure out which one of them you have to do more of and less of. So at Shapiro, I think that's how we're, how we approach our team. That's how we approach our people. And that's how we deal with the ups and downs of our business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I think that's all, all valid, uh, valid points and valid opinions there. Let me ask you this though. Um, when you think about leadership for an organization and this can be you or, or anybody that's leading an organization, what do you believe is the most important thing a leader can do? So from your perspective, what is, what is the most valuable thing that a leader can do to either a support the organization or, or B really lead the organization going forward? You know, like I mentioned earlier, Brian, I almost think that question is an oxymoron uh, because the most important thing is always going to be dependent on the situation. Sure. And so, but so as I think of it, uh, the most important thing is really hard to put uh, a label on. Um, But if I had to pick one, I would say that you have to really, really care about your people. Yeah. Well, and what, you know, what I would say to that question is for like, for me, when I lead, you know, my organization is just to being an honest person and treat other people the way that I would want to be treated myself, which all goes hand in hand with what you just said about, you know, caring, caring about the others. Cause I think, I, I think so many times in organizations, at least that I have seen in, in doing this podcast is sometimes leaders, um, then there's a major difference between a leader and a manager, right? And, no question. Yeah. And sometimes I, I see where people are, quote unquote, the leader of an organization by the job title that they have. Um, but they're more of a manager, more of a delegator than they are really a true leader. I agree with you. You know, whether it's the golden rule, uh, which is served us really well, or there's people out there talking about the platinum rule, which is treat people the way they need to be treated. I think it really comes down to people, right? And it can't comes down to whatever is needed at the time, how you serve them, how you remove obstacles, how you enable them, how you inspire them. All of those things are 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 vitally impo- are critically important. And and then you know you also have to have courage to deal with tough situations and help people change or you know, for the greater good of the company. So there's, there's lots of things that come into to leadership. And I don't think it's, it's very linear. I think it is a, it's managing a bunch of paradoxes. And it's, it's, it's using a lot of emotional intelligence to deal with the circumstances as they come up, not in a reactionary way, but more in a way to, to respond to situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit enterprisebank.com. And now, back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. 
let me talk about COVID a little bit. Um, obviously, you turn the news on right now. That's <laughs> that's all that's being talked about is COVID. I, I had a meeting this morning with a company in Fenton, and the first 20 minutes of our conversation was all about masks and vaccine mandates and vaccines. And it's it's just it's it's bombarding organizations right now. It's bombarding people. So let's talk a little bit from a company standpoint. How has Shapiro um, one handled COVID, um, but two, how has it affected you guys as an organization? Yeah, you know that that's that's really certainly top of mind right now for everybody. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we're still handling it. Yeah, you know. Um, I'll talk about how we how we've handled it since March of 2020. Back then, we kind of responded in three ways. First, with compassion, um, realizing that this was affecting people, our people, our customers, people, our our um, our community, and everybody was dealing with stuff already. Now they're dealing with stuff plus uncertainty. So we wanted to make sure we had that at top of mind as we were going forward. Then we approached it with vigilance. We were an essential company that had to continue operating uh, at, our, at our facilities, our 10 facilities around the country. And um, so we did everything we could to uh, socially distance our employees, go to contactless interactions, um, we had to continue to operate, but we also had to protect both our people and the people they interacted with. And so we developed protocols, practices, sanitation processes, and it enabled us to operate for the essentially the last 18 months. Uh, we, have we been, uh, have we come through that unscathed? No, we've, we've been impacted by it. Um, We've, we've lost one employee to COVID. We've lost another one to disability. Um, none of those things generated out of our facilities, but um, still impacted our teams and our team's emotions. So our, you know, we had a lot of vigilance through that period and have, have done a really good job and continue to do a good job um, in, a, in a very ever-changing environment around what is right, what is wrong, adjusting to that. And that our HR team and our operations team have just done an extraordinarily good job with it. And in addition to that, we the third way we responded to COVID was really strategically. Um, when it hit, there was certainly a lot of uncertainty, uncertainty about what it was going to do to businesses. People reflected back to 2008 and the consequences of that recession. And we wanted to be really mindful of how we responded. And so we, we kind of reinvigorated a bunch of projects that we had on the drawing board for innovation. We packaged it into a project we called Project Positive Momentum. We engaged many of the team members, giving them something really positive to focus on that can make a difference. And strategically, it was designed that as COVID kind of changed or evolved or 
reduced and the, something came back to some semblance of operations again, we'd be able to offer different products and services. And we really got good results out of that. And then today we continue to operate with those three principles. We continue to operate with compassion, uh, offering a lot of flexibility to our employees and also being vigilant around keeping them safe. And we continue to work on the third version of Project Positive Momentum. And so that, that's been our response to COVID. Yeah, it's been a challenging for, I mean, every business, including, you know, ours. And um, I think, you know, if you, well, I think what's what's hard is we were we felt like we were starting to come out of it uh, beginning of the summer. Um, and now I feel like we're going right back into it. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to, I don't know what the next 30, 60 days look like. You know, I was watching the news last night and I saw that the state of Mississippi was at, almost at max capacity in their hospitals again. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's sad. It's sad for small businesses. It's sad for big businesses. It's sad for individuals. It, it's just a sad situation. And I think, but I think what's important is, is what you said, you, you got to have a plan in place on how you're going to deal with it, not only as an individual, but as an organization. Um, and I think the organizations that are being very strategic about how, um, that they're going to, you know, have a plan or the ones that are going to come out. Okay. And the ones that are naive and just think it'll, it'll go away or, or whatever might, might, might suffer from that. I, I just hope and my prayer is that it doesn't lock anything down. And again, I don't know how our economy can survive that. Um, again. I agree. Um, I agree. but, um, I know a lot of, I, have, I deal with a lot of restaurants in my business, a lot of small businesses that took a pretty hard economic impact. Um, and these are small businesses that have invested their life savings to start this small Absolutely. business. Um, I, the lady, I had a lady on last week on this podcast who owns a, um, a spa here in St. Louis and, you know, she's invested her life savings to start in the spa. And I mean, when you think about when the government shut those businesses down and they had no cash coming in for 90 days, my dad was a barber. He just retired last year, but he couldn't cut hair for 90 days. He's, he had no, no income coming in for 90 days. That's, that's challenging for, for a small business. And so I'm just hopeful and prayful that we can, we can figure out a way to, to obviously mitigate this risk and mitigate the virus and protect the people that are most vulnerable to the situation um, and come out okay on the other side of it. But I agree with you, you know, your three stances on how you guys have dealt with it. Uh, I think those are very good um, points on, on how to deal with it. And just, just hopeful that we all come out better on the other side of it. You know, I, the only thing I would add to that, I couldn't agree more with you is I think you got to continue to remind people on your teams on the vigilance um, and what, and, you know, continue to encourage the safe practices, the protocols, um, like anything else, they're prone to regress. And if you shore it up and help encourage your team, I think that's some of the best things you can be doing. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that, and this is not a political podcast, but I think the saddest thing about this entire virus is how political it's become. Sure. Um, and so it's, it's a, that's a, even a more unfortunate situation. Let me, uh, let me uh, before I let you go here, I want to ask you a couple more quick questions, and that would be leadership. You know, you clearly have solid leadership. You've had, you're in a leadership position. You have been for a while. Where did you learn your leadership skills? Have there been mentors you've had along the way, books that you've read, podcasts that you've listened to? Where, where did you learn the skill set that you have when it comes to leadership? You know, I was thinking about that question and 
I guess the best way I would articulate it is I think it's always been an interest of mine. I think uh, I think as early as grade school, I had a teacher talk about leadership and compare one student to another as good leaders. And I wasn't included in that. And I think that spurned a little bit of curiosity. <laughs> I, I wish she would have said I was, but she didn't. Um, and so then I think I started watching the coaches that I had and the team captains that I played with as I was playing sports through high school and college and grade school. And I think I learned a little bit from that. And then I'm an avid reader. And so I've been studying uh leadership for as long as I've been in supervisory roles, whether it's Stephen Covey in the late 70s and 80s, or it's Simon Sinek now, or and any host of people in between there. And 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 having been a significant in, in roles that were always involving some aspect of change, we were always doing some kind of change management, some kind of training, and we would bring different kind of learning opportunities in, whether it was a Tom Peters film uh, in, the, in the 80s around TQM, or it was Joel Barker as a futurist back then, or even Deming, or now, you know, as we do events, we're talking, we're showing people things from Simon Sinek and so forth. So it, it, it really was that avid interest. And then I've taken advantage of every educational opportunity any company has afforded me. I got to go to a uh, executive forum when I was with Ball Corporation. That was all about the seven habits. It was an intensive seven habits course for about, wasn't, it was one day a month for a year and it was really impactful and most recently, I attended Darden's uh, executive program at the University of Virginia, and, and that was just absolutely outstanding. So I've been a, stud, a student of it my entire career. Obviously, I've learned from the leaders I've worked with, and there have been some incredibly good ones. Um, yeah. And there's been some bad ones that I've also learned from. Absolutely. I've, then I've had trial and error. Uh, I, I tell my team members, I allow them to make as many mistakes as they want me to allow them, or allow me to make as many mistakes as they want me to allow them to make. And so I had a lot of trial and error. And most, um, and then I think being a husband and a father has uh, influenced my leadership style and leadership as well. So I don't think I'll ever stop learning leadership. It is always for me going to be a work in progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this, you know, this podcast is geared to aspiring leaders here in St. Louis that are aspiring to be the next generation of leaders. And um, pretty much every leader I have on here has says similar concepts when it comes to just reading books and studying leadership and never, and never not learning. Right. And um, so my, you know, my advice to people when I, when I, tell them about this podcast is the whole goal is to, if, if for people to pull something out of this episode and, you know, if that one, one piece is that they need to go read Simon Sedek or Tom Covey or, or anything like that, that can help them be a better leader in whatever role they're in now or in the future, 
um, then, then that's great. And I, I, um, I agree with you. You got to continue to read. I'm not a reader, but I am an audio uh, learner. So I, I listen to podcasts, I listen to audio books and mm. all of that, all of that has, you know, shaped me into the leader that I am today. And, um, but it, you know, it's, it's, you got to continue to educate yourself on, on any, anything, but especially leadership, if that's what you're aspiring to be. I agree with you. And I think with the advent of podcasts like yours and and others, there are so many opportunities as we commute and, and and drive someplace to pick up a five or ten minute opportunity. Uh, you know, for example, the, this new thing out there, the master class that that's out there as a subscription service, has some remarkable. Uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin is doing some remarkable stuff on leadership, and we're participating in that as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Bob, I always end this podcast by asking my guests to leave us with a piece of advice. So if you could leave us with a piece of advice today, what would it be? You know, I think the world is, is at a point where it is going, the rate of change is accelerating beyond our comprehension. You know, often we think linear versus exponential and the change is coming at us exponentially. So I think to be effective as leaders, uh, I think we have to accelerate our ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn and be committed and willing to do that over and over again. Great advice. Great advice. On behalf of myself and the STLers podcast, I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you being a great leader here in our community of St. Louis, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Brian.